Hey everybody, today in the Multiply Podcast, we're talking about building a culture of unity. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back or welcome to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. And we are back again. We officially now done two episodes yeah. after a long hiatus. You had to wait six months for the last episode and two weeks for this one. Wow. What a blessing. Yes. yes. It is the last day of February. Mm. Special month for my family because my daughters, two of my daughters have birthdays in February. Maddie turned eight. Caroline turned 11. February was my dad's birthday month also. And so February is always a fun month for us. And then we got a little Valentine's Day mixed in. And uh, and most importantly, we are headed into March, which means we are uh, three massive snowstorms away from spring. <laughs> That is depressingly true for upstate New York. Yes. But uh yeah, I can't wait. I'm already I'm already dreaming about the warmth and the sun. And um what are you most excited about? Well, I'm a big March Madness fan, which I know is, has nothing to do so with warmth staying or sun. indoors staying. and watching TV. <laughs> well, like okay. I said, we got a few snowstorms left in Syracuse probably, but um I do like March Madness, although the Syracuse team that I root for is most likely not going to make the tournament this year which greatly impacts my overall interest you're not really a college basketball fan are you no not really I mean I would cheer for Syracuse but ever since I've lived here they've been terrible yeah um, well they made a final four run since you've been here I think yeah maybe they were terrible that year but they got hot in the tournament yeah no it's you know the thing about college sports for me is if you live we're from the northeast it's hard to follow college sports in the same way that people in other parts of the country do because Outside of like maybe Syracuse, Syracuse basketball, but Syracuse basketball and football, they've not been great for a while. True, there's no really big football teams in the Northeast. I mean, not really, right? So it's like you don't grow up with this diehard like home football team. And yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know if Ohio State would be considered the Northeast, but no, that's not North. I mean, clearly the South is the home to the best right football teams in the, some of the Midwest and Texas, but. Yeah, I um I love so I love I prefer college basketball to the NBA, but I prefer the NFL to college football. Yeah, and, and it's just the way it's always been. But um, also we're big lacrosse fans now because my youngest daughter's part of the Syracuse women's lacrosse team, and they're great. They're like number three in the nation right now, and they're fun to watch. And so, so I'm excited about um you know watching those seasons develop. And in terms of getting outside, um. I like spring. I'm a, I prefer fall to spring because spring always – I always feel like spring is just kind of wet and it's raining all the time. But just excited to be able to see the ground again, yeah. <laughs> see the grass, get out back, do things, walk around the neighborhood, see our neighbors again. You know, the winter, everybody yep. just hibernates around here. You and I going for some shirtless jogs. Mm. I'm excited about that. Maybe in 2023. <laughs> I got some work to do. Well, that's – hey, let's go. We got we to gotta, we gotta make it happen. So, if, What do you love about spring? Yeah, I mean, I love the the anticipation. Like, the weather's not that great, although you get those few days that are great. Yeah. But it's more the anticipation, like, oh, man, this is almost over. When you got a pool that you're probably, like, can't wait to get open, too. Yeah, we're excited about opening the pool up. Um, you know, we have a – you know this, we, we got a puppy somewhat recently. He's now six months old. And winter's really hard for, like – exercise and walks and stuff like so for all of us for yeah exactly <laughs> so it, it'll be nice to just be able to get out and just yeah. you know be outdoors and get some vitamin d I just had an idea a gym for dogs oh my goodness did i just 
Did the All Lord, right. did the hey, Lord hey, just hey. give me? Let's just do not this. steal that. Anybody who's listening to yeah. this, that's our thing. Yeah, I've already copyrighted that. Yep, or gym, not copyrighted. What's the a, word? A gym for dogs. Yeah, I love it. Patent pending. Patent pending. Yeah. Yep. Well, last episode we talked about the one thing every team needs, and we talked about unity. And today's kind of a continuation of that. So, um, if you didn't listen to the last one, um, I definitely recommend you go back, check it out. We talked about five principles of unity. We looked at Philippians chapter four, verses two and three, where Paul is uh, publicly addressing an issue of disagreement between two disciples and telling them that they need to get their act together and they need to work together. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. And so um, today we're going to talk about building a culture of unity. Basically, what is your individual responsibility? And you know, we have people who listen to this podcast who are leading organizations, but also people who sit in the second chair, third chair, they're team members. And sometimes the lack of unity, they can kind of lay at the feet of the main leader. But I think every team member has a responsibility to fight for unity, right? And to build a culture of unity. And so these four things that are actually going to come right out of the rest of this Philippians passage, things that we can be doing to, as individuals, take responsibility for building the culture of unity. So let me read these verses. And then we'll jump right in. And, and the interesting thing about these verses, Jared, is that this is a passage, as soon as I start to read it, people who grew up in church are going to be like, oh, I know these verses. I've heard these verses thousands of times. But sometimes we don't understand the context of these verses. So keep in mind, Paul literally just addressed an issue of division and disunity, and then he goes to this. All right. And, and I think we need to hold these two things together and connect them in their significance. So verse two and three, he names these two women. He says, you've labored together. Let's get it together and let's work together. And then verse four, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Right? That's a verse we hear all the time. We used to sing songs Sounds about like a that. song, yeah. Yeah, we used to old school, rejoice in the Lord always. Mm. Again, I say rejoice. Yeah, come on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, verse five, let your reasonable reasonableness, it's a tricky word, you say it once. Reasonableness. Mm, trickier wow, than that. Nailed it's it. Trickier than that. Nailed it first try. Everybody listening right now, just five times fast. Reasonableness, 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 <laughs> reasonableness, reasonableness. Mm, mm. That is a tricky one. Let your reasonableness <laughs> be known to everyone. That's such a cool little sentence. I, uh, we're going to talk about that. Then he says, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Again, a very famous verse. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I, I believe that Paul still has Euodia and Syntyche and this disagreement in mind when he writes these words here in verses 4 through 7. And so in here, I think we can find four keys to building a culture of unity. And so let's go for the first one here. Right off the bat, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. <clears throat> and I think that as individuals, if we're going to build a culture of unity and we're going to do our part, the first thing is we have to find our joy in the right place. And Paul makes it clear. Don't rejoice in getting your way. Don't rejoice in being right. Don't rejoice in, you know, Yodia. Don't rejoice in the fact that, you know, we're going to side with you and not with Syntyche. None of that stuff, but rejoice in the Lord. We talked about this a little bit at the end of the last episode, but if your greatest joy is in being right, in being respected, in being heard, in getting your way, then in that environment, unity is always fragile. It's You're always one um, tough conversation away from losing unity. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's actually impossible to be selfless with that being the motivation of your heart because every relationship, every moment, you're using people and situations around you to give your heart what you desperately think it needs, um, which is these kind of counterfeit joys. Mm-hmm. And um, and so true unity happens when the whole team is selfless in serving and loving each other. Um, I remember, to use the context of marriage as an example, I remember reading Tim Keller's book, The, the Meaning of Marriage, and he says, he says in there, he goes, Marriage is a covenant to love and serve your spouse, Mm. even if they're not loving and serving you. And he says, the beauty is when both people do that for each other, Mm -hmm. when both people live that way, that's when you have the most flourishing and meaningful relationship. And I think the the same is true with teams. When you find your joy and contentment in in the the right thing, in Christ, Mm -hmm. you're able to love and serve and enjoy each other. And when, when everybody does that, like it, I mean, talk about what you can accomplish when everyone is living in that spirit and that joy. Uh, it's pretty phenomenal. I remember reading a book many, many years ago by I think his last name is Yacanelli. He was a big youth specialties, youth ministry guy. Yeah, I remember that. Is it Mike or Mark Yacanelli? Yeah, might even be a dad and son with both of those names. But uh, it was called Dangerous Wonder, I think, or something okay. like that. But I, I'm pretty sure it was in this book, and if I'm wrong, then I've just recommended a book that has nothing to do with the story I'm about to Shout tell. Shout out to Yacanelli. <laughs> it could be from a different book. Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I read 12 books a day, so it's yeah. hard to keep track. Absolutely. Um, when uh, he ta- he gave this illustration of like, imagine uh, you know in the morning you give your kid one flower to give away to someone else that day, right? And you say, whoever you give this flower to, it's going to make their day. They're just going to be so happy, so blessed. It's just going to change their attitudes and their emotions. And and so your kid goes off to school with one flower. Now, because they only have one flower, they're waiting for the right person all day, right? Um, they see somebody who could probably use it, but they think, now there's going to be somebody later who needs it more. They hold on to it. Another kid you give five flowers to, right? And so they go into their day with maybe a little different attitude. Maybe they're a little more generous. Maybe they're willing to give it to someone they're not totally sure if they need it the most, but who cares? They got five of them. And then the illustration, if I remember it correctly, says, now imagine one of the kids has unlimited amount of flowers and the generosity with which this kid is just going to like every person he or she sees and interacts with is going to get this flower. And what the point being is that when we have a unlimited source of joy and confidence and strength in Christ, we can freely give those same gifts away to other people. Mm. But when we feel like our joy is just very limited and it fully dependent on us being right, us being respected, us being liked, us being noticed, then it actually doesn't just affect the way we feel about ourselves. It affects the way we treat others, which ultimately can tear down a culture of unity. So knowing that our joy is in a sort of unlimited source in Christ allows us to be joyful people yeah. and to express our joy in meaningful ways, even when there's disagreement, yeah. uh, even when we're not getting our way. And I think one of the things that, that especially in the church world, um, that Christians need to embrace is this idea of his purposes over our preferences. Mm. I remember hearing a pastor, um, his name is Bob Reeves, I think it was Bob Reeves, um, saying that basically he had to learn to lead a church that was different than the church he would prefer to attend. Yeah. And he doesn't mean in terms of like important things like doctrine and theology, but he means in terms of music style. 
yep. and maybe programming and scheduling, he realized as he got older, like if we're going to continue to reach families and continue to serve this community, which is a young community, I'm going to have to eventually lead a church. And so he actually talks about sort of this upside down mentality in their church where the people who are considered the least are the leaders. The people whose preferences are considered the least, next least, are actually the members mm. and the longtime people. Yeah. But the people who they're really considering is like the community, the guests, the unsaved right. who haven't come to their church in terms of, you know, bringing them in. So I think if, if we don't have our joy in Christ, we're never going to be able to uh, be generous in that way with our lives. Yeah, I, I love that. The concept of the more mature you are, the more selfless you become, the more yeah. you give away your preferences. Yeah. I also think one of the important things when we're talking about finding your joy in the right places, um, as it pertains to a team, is a recognition that not everybody will get this all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, when you're when you're working in a team, you understand there's going to be people that come into this team from time to time and they're struggling with this. But when others are living this out, we're able to lift each other up and we're able to help each other. And so, again, to use the analogy of marriage, like that's one of the beautiful things that a marriage is really functioning well is when one spouse is kind of struggling to do the things that they're supposed to do, the other one is lifting them up. And sometimes there's this ebb and flow that happens where when you're down, I'll pick you up. When I'm down, you pick me up. That's the same thing with the with the team. But it ultimately requires people to live this thing out and find their joy in that. And so when, when you come in and you're in a pouty mood to record the podcast, I'm not getting angry at you. I have such joy that I'm lifting you up before, Mm. before I know it. And you know it. Can't wait. You're dancing. You're dancing with joy. Can't wait to experience that. Wow. (laughs) It'll, it'll happen by the end of this podcast. Trust me, you'll be dancing dancing. in this office. Finding your joy in the right place. Second thing to building a culture of unity is is be reasonable. Now, this is that um, that verse I, I was reading earlier, verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And I, I can't think of many times in Scripture where that word is used or even this idea is communicated. But when I think of the word reasonable, um, I don't know that I would have thought of it previously as a spiritual issue. Mm. Um, I would have thought, well, reasonable people are that way because that's their personality, because that's how they're wired, because they're grown and matured and whatnot. But Paul is actually connecting it he drops his statement right in the midst of like rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is at hand. Be person of prayer. Experience the peace of God in the midst of it. And he's still thinking, I think, of these two ladies in this issue that they're trying to sort through. Be reasonable. What do you think of when you when you hear the word reasonable and how it contributes to a culture of unity? Well, my first thought is Paul must have been aware of social media when he wrote this. <laughs> because is there any better case study for the lack of reasonableness in in human interaction, right, is is um, the way people treat each other. But I, all joking aside, I do think where our culture is today, it has heightened the ability to be unreasonable because when we're distant from each other via text, email, mm. phone, um, social media, when we're not face-to-face in relationship, it allows us to be, it's way easier to be unreasonable to each other. Yeah, oh, yeah. Versus like you, what kind of things would you say to somebody on Twitter that you would never say to them face to face? Right. There's a, there's an element of that that exists that didn't exist in Paul's time. Yeah. Other than maybe writing a letter. Right. Well, there's, I, yeah, a hundred percent. And I think the people who are big mouths online, if they're in the room with the person, they, like you're saying, they would never say some of the things and certainly not in the way in which they're saying it. And some of it is, there's not the immediate risk of response. Yeah. Right. 
Um, in fact, there's been some concern on the part of sociologists as far as how this social media sort of behind a screen communication is affecting our empathy. Yeah. That there's something formative, like when you and I were kids, uh, if we were mean to a kid, we had to be mean to their face. And I know that was mm. a big part of your childhood, being mean to other kids. And Actually, um, you're joking, but it's kind of, I kind of was a bully. Yeah. yeah. And you would, when you're bullying someone. Um, hey, you, hurt, hurt people hurt people, Dave. You ever heard of that? I have heard of that. <laughs> yeah. So I was just a hurting young lad. Well, we don't have time for this conversation okay. now. All right, let's go back to your point. <laughs> um, when 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 a bully would uh, say something mean or rude or hurt, whether or not it affected them in the moment, they could see the physical impact of their words. Right. The wince, the the way in which the kid shrunk back or kind of quieted down. Like, and and there's something about seeing that that actually develops empathy, even if in the moment it doesn't make you change your behavior. Yeah. Well, that's gone now. Yeah. Right. And so. There's a lot of concern about this gener- the younger generation and their ability to empathize with people based on the words that they're saying. And so this idea of being reasonable, sensible, fair, level-headed, there's one scripture verse, um, it's not coming to mind right now where exactly it's found, where, um, where I don't know if it's Paul, I'm going to try and Google it really quick, but he basically says uh, leaders keep their heads about themselves. Yeah. Um, when everyone, you know, that whole idea of like when everyone, when everyone else is losing their heads, leaders, leaders kind of stay centered and focused and don't get pulled into drama. And I'll tell you what, I mean, one of the things that I love about, one of the things I look for in leaders is this sort of the repellent towards unnecessary drama. Mm. Some people are attractive or attractors to unnecessary drama. It always finds them. And I think it's something about them most of the time. But then there are some who like, there's, there's, then there's some leaders where that's where drama goes to die. Like people come with their drama and then it just dies because they're not going to buy into it. That's something so annoying about you. What? I always try to, I always try to get some good drama going with you. You never. It just dies. You never bite it. I just kill, I just kill it because I just walk away and don't listen. Yeah. But I think the idea of like, if you're going to have a culture of unity, you need to, as an individual. Now remember today we're talking about what's my individual responsibility towards yeah. this. You've got to work hard towards being a reasonable person. And part of being a reasonable person, I think is being willing to hear other perspectives, mm. listening not just to respond, but listening to understand, yep. um, and being open to the two other things. Number one, being open to the idea that um, there are legitimate motivations behind other people's behavior that you don't like, yep. right? So we tend to, see, this is what I'm trying to say, I don't know if I said that well, but we see people do something and sometimes we attribute to them the worst possible motivation for why they did it. Yep. Instead of saying, what actual reasonable motivation could they have had for the thing that they did? Yeah. And doing the work to find that. But then the other thing is owning your own stories, which just means like if you're going to be a reasonable person, you got to realize that you're never just about the facts. You know, some people are like, I'm just about the facts. No, no one functions that way. Yeah. As soon as you get the facts, you because you're a human, you start building a narrative around the facts, right? And then you ultimately believe your narrative more than you believe the facts. And being a reasonable person is willing to lay down your story and hear other people's stories long enough to say, oh, there's a different way of looking at this situation. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think this is an important thing for leaders to understand. This is actually attractive to people as well. Uh, uh, given what we said at the beginning about social media, and the, the truth is that 
the majority of people that are kind of trolls out there, those are fringe people. I think the majority of people are attracted to someone, a leader who is reasonable. And one, one of the examples I would give, I know there's some, some drama surrounding him, but a guy like Joe Rogan, who has probably the biggest podcast in the world. Never heard of him. Second only to the multiple. The multiply. But um, he, one of the things that I think he's so, the reason he's so popular, and I do enjoy listening to a lot of his stuff, is he he kind of he, this is who he is he's kind of a reasonable guy where he's he's not usually in one camp or the other it's like he's not a republican he's not a democrat he's not a but he just sits down with people and has conversations and desires to learn and you kind of listen to him you're like i don't i don't really even know what he believes or thinks about this issue but i do know he's reasonable he's a reasonable person and so um and I think that I think that's attractive to people because there's a safety there where mm-hmm. people can go, OK, I can trust myself with this leader or this person. I can trust myself to be a part of this team, because even if I maybe am a little different, even if I feel differently, even if I'm having a rough day, like there's a culture of um, what would you say? Reasonability. That's not a word. Reasonablenessity. Re- <laughs> Oh, that's that's definitely a word. Reasonable. There's a culture of reasonablenessity. Yeah, you know that exists. I would love to live in the municipality of reasonablenessity. <laughs> I think I just said it wrong. That's a beautiful place. Um, I've not listened to Joe Rogan because I'm a Christian, right. but um, that's a joke. Well, I um, I listen to him to learn about what the non-Christians. Oh, good, good, are good, like. good. You're such a you're such a missionary. Yeah. Such yeah. a such a cultural. That's how I live uh, life. Architect. Yeah. yeah. Um, but um, I will say that. Obviously, he's a lightning rod, and I don't even know the whole deal because I don't like knowing what's happening in the world. But um, I hate drama. <laughs> I do think that um, if you're going to be reasonable and open to conversations, you will get cr- criticized for that, right? Yeah. Just the willingness to have certain conversations is often becomes right. something that other people criticize. And that the unwillingness, I, I think it, um, Joseph Granny at a leadership conference one time, I heard him say, you can judge the health of an organization or the unhealth of an organization based on the number of conversations they are unwilling to have. And so I think being reasonable is also wow. saying we're willing to have conversations, hard conversations for the sake of health. Right. And some people aren't comfortable with the actual existence of conversations, but if we're going to have a culture of unity, you got to have those conversations. Otherwise you guys are, there may be all sorts of under the surface things that people disagree about that no one's willing to talk about because yeah. Yeah. no one's reasonable. Yeah. I love that. All right. Third thing, we got four, so we're halfway through, or maybe a little more. Third thing to building a culture of unity. Right in the middle of all of this, Paul says, the Lord is at hand, which simply means the Lord is coming. You know, the Christians believe that uh, Jesus is going to return someday, and he's going to make all things new, and with him is going to come a new heavens and a new earth, and and all the things that make this world broken and, and what it is will no longer exist. So, what Paul is doing here, I think, in this little phrase is he's giving the church in Philippi the gift of perspective. So he's saying, be reasonable and let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Then in the next breath, the Lord is at hand. Mm. And I was kind of when I was studying this past, I'm like, what is the connection between those two things? Like the fact that we would be reasonable here and now on earth in the present. How does the future help us with that? And I think one of the thoughts I had, I want to hear your thoughts on this, is that I think someday we will look back right on on the things that stole our joy and stole our unity and we will be stunned at how little those things actually are from the perspective of eternity yeah 
And so when Paul says the Lord is at hand, he's giving them. In fact, earlier in this passage, uh, in verse two, which or verse three, we read it last in our last episode, when he's talking to these two women, he says he references them and says their names are in the book of life. He's like reminding them, like you don't need your name in lights, you don't need your name to be to have a title because your names are in the book of life, and the Lord is at hand. This is not all there is. You're fighting for things in some ways that ultimately you're going to look back and go, I can't believe we fought about that and for that with such intensity and, 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 to the, and to the detriment of the mission. And so the third principle here is to remind each other the Lord is coming. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 the gift of perspective is, uh, is a, such a powerful thing. I was, my parents just celebrated a, a pretty significant wedding anniversary. They've been married a long time. And um, I remember talking to them somewhat recently about their relationship now as they, after they've been together for so long. And you would think it's, just simply a matter of they've become more like each other and they've worked out all the differences and all the issues over the years. But in reality, what they said is like, you just learn to not like the stuff that you fought about at Mm. one point doesn't matter anymore. You know what I mean? So it's not even that the person has, and of course they have changed, but it's not even that like all those things that you initially fought about are not still there. You just gain a perspective that who cares about that? And I think it's true if you look back on your life and the stuff that you at one time were so passionate about and you thought mattered so much as you gain perspective. You know, in parenting, we know this is true. Like the stuff that you get so angry about and frustrated about with your kids, the older you get, you go, why? I can't believe I let myself get so bent out of shape over that. Like, you know, it, the the gift of per, uh, perspective is such a powerful thing. And that's what you're laying out is um, – I. The challenge is, and, I, and let me ask you this: how do, how do we get perspective without just going through time and years? So how do I how do I get the perspective hmm. of a married couple that's been married fifty yeah. years when I've only been married ten years? Right? Like, well, on one hand, I, I don't think there is probably a shortcut to experience and wisdom and perspective in terms of looking back. However, I think you kind of answered your own question in what you were saying is that the conversations that you had with your mom and dad, right? So listening to people and surrounding yourself with people who are where you want to be and actually believing that the things that God has revealed to them about life um, is true is true for you too, even if you don't see the same value of it because you don't have their perspective. So yeah. I think it's on one hand, you can't get, you can't just get the years, right? You got to live them. Right. But on the other hand, you can benefit from the wisdom of others and being willing to listen to those who have gone before. Um, I think so much of this, too, in terms of reminding each other that the Lord is coming, is this idea that the hope that we have then should be reflected in our lives now. We shouldn't have to wait until then to begin to experience the hope that is there. We should begin to experience it in an increasing way in our lives now. Right. If it will be that way someday where we will be together with the Lord in perfect unity, then it should and can be that way in some ways now. And actually on on the Gospel Center Discipleship website, Brianna Lambert wrote an amazing article recently. I want to just read, we don't usually read a lot on this podcast, but I just want to read to you these two paragraphs and that I think applies perfectly to this idea of gaining unity from reminding each other that the Lord is coming. And she says this, she says, the next time you see two Christians who can't seem to see eye to eye on social media, imagine their future. She's talking about in heaven. Imagine them embracing in perfect humility, reunited in a scene to rival Joseph and his brothers. Imagine the tears that will fall as each one feels genuine repentance for whatever assumptions, carelessness, and short-sightedness pass between them. 
Have you looked ahead toward this day? Have you imagined it for yourself when your own blinders, preconceived notions, and pride will be truly gone? Our future not only mends the brokenness between saints, but God will also exercise true justice on the wicked. Every public and secret deed will come to light. When we look toward this future, our hearts soften in the present. It eases our wounds as we put our slights and even our deep cuts into the hands of our Redeemer. We are able to wait for the day when justice will be done and we will join with the pure, spotless bride of Christ in true unity. And so reminding each other that the Lord is coming helps us in two ways. It reminds us that the Lord, when he comes, he will come as a judge to make all things right. And the way that helps us sometimes in unity is sometimes unity breaks down because we are trying to make things right that are beyond our ability to make them right. Yeah. And we have to learn to trust the Lord. I'm not talking about being silent on issues of injustice, but there's just some things that are beyond our reach. We can't make everything right, and we can't make everyone see things the way we do. We can't hold everyone accountable for every thought, attitude, and action they have. So what do we do with that? We trust that the Lord sees all, knows all, and will hold everyone accountable someday. So on one hand, it gives us the ability to let go of things because the Lord will hold everyone accountable. But on the other hand, it makes us so grateful to know that if the Lord held us accountable Mm. for every attitude, thought we have, what hope would we have? But the hope, of course, we have is in Christ who has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves and secured the welcome of the Father and and the certainty of heaven. And when we think about that day in heaven being together, we're going to embrace each other and our differences will be no more. So why not start to live that way now? Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of that reminder that I'm I'm the biggest sinner, I know, right? Mm. The idea that, and therefore, um, that gives me love and hope and and respect towards the people around me, but also this tremendous hope that despite the fact that I'm a sinner, like his he's lavished me with his grace and his, and I have this hope that makes all things right. So it's it, it diffuses you in so many ways, gives you that perspective to um, view people in the way that God wants you, view yourself in the way that he wants you with humility. And, um, and, and we can start to live out, you know, his kingdom come now. We can start to live out those principles. Yeah. Um, like you said, if it's going to matter, then it should matter now. And so mm-hmm. I love that. Good. Well, four, four uh, thoughts on building a culture of unity. Number one, find your joy in the right place. Number two, be reasonable. Number three, remind each other the Lord is coming. And then lastly, give everything, everything to the Lord. And Paul here says, don't be anxious about anything. And a lot of times it's our anxieties that lead to disunity and division. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, which means there will be ways in which we cannot understand his peace, but we can receive it. It will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So the last thing is give everything to the Lord. Pray about it more than you complain about it. You know, oh boy. the big thing now is if you can post about it, you can pray about it, right? Oh boy. We can give our anxiety to the Lord. And, and um, recently at Trinity, we preached through the Beatitudes. And one of the messages was about the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And one of the things that we learned in that message is that Jesus doesn't just give us his peace, but that he is our peace. Yeah. And Paul writes, those, or Paul writes those words and says, you know, Jesus is our peace. He's broken down the wall of hostility between us and the Father, but also between each other. And so in giving everything to the Lord and saying, Lord, I trust you with this conflict. I trust you with this struggle. I trust you with the, the fact that this person's personality bothers me or that I didn't get my way or that we're having this disagreement. I, I, instead of just getting angry and yelling and ranting and posting about it and internalizing it, we learn to pray our anger, pray our tears, pray our fears to the Lord, and 
the exchange that we find according to this verse is we find that Jesus is our peace. And yeah. so one of the things I said on uh, when I shared the message on peacemakers is that Christians don't make decisions for peace. We make decisions from peace. And so sometimes we rush into decisions thinking if we just, you know, if we make the right decision, then we will find peace. And so it's, it's a problem in two ways. Number one, sometimes it makes us act quicker than we should because we're just desperate for peace. Number two, it actually means that we're putting our hope not in Christ, but in our ability to make the right decision or the outcome of the decision that we're going to make. But if we can find peace in Christ even before we make decisions, then that frees us to make decisions from peace and not for peace. Yeah. I love that. And then the context of unity, which is what we've been talking about, if everybody on the team starts to live that principle out, that concept out, um, it creates um, such a deep love for each other, concern for each other. Uh, the idea, like we talked about sometimes in discipleship, fighting for each other. Yeah. And when everyone's doing that, oh, my goodness, that's a, that's a culture people want to be a part of. It's a culture that's attractive, and it's a culture that um, I think I think God can use pretty, pretty significantly. So. Yeah. Um, hey, those are your four guys. Find your joy in the right place. Be reasonable. Remind each other the Lord is coming. Give everything to the Lord. So before we go, we do want to help you not just become better leaders, but also better eaters. And so we're going to do a little portion we call David's Eats. Mm. And uh, we're just going to do a very simple day. What's the best thing you've eaten in the past week or two? Best thing you've eaten. So um, we're doing our diet thing, which we'll have an update in our next podcast for everybody. Um, just a, just heads up, it's going to be good. So get ready. <laughs> so there's a um, there's a Korean dish that I really enjoy. It's just marinated beef. It's called pogogi. Like if you go to a Korean restaurant, you're not sure what to get, get pogogi. I've never, literally never seen anybody not enjoy it. But Costco's actually sells a pre-made version of it. At least the Costco's around here. And now the, the issue is, is Costco's makes it very sweet and um, I don't like it that sweet. So what I do is I'll take it home. I'll chop up a ton of white onions and green onions and then I'll and I'll just put like black crushed pepper in there to kind of counteract the sweetness and cook it up. We had it the other night with family and um, great, super mm-hmm. great meat, um, just thinly sliced sirloin or ribeye. And uh, so it's probably one of the best things. And then I always like a little kimchi on the side, which is like a cold pickled spicy vegetable dish. Oh, baby. Well, it's officially lunchtime and you've just made me hungry. Let's get some pagogi. Let's go. Gogi is in Korean. Gogi is the word for meat. And uh, one of my friends, they're they're Korean and they their friends named their dog Gogi. (laughs) (laughs) But I love the name. But every time they call their dog Gogi, they're basically calling him meat. That's awesome. Well, we're thankful for all of our Korean brothers and sisters out there and the delicious meats that they give us. Yeah, so I don't want you to say that. Hey, everybody, this is the Multiply Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys on the next one.